And now we get to open God's word together, turn to Colossians chapter 2. We made it out of one. We're in chapter 2, page 983. If you need to use one of the Bibles behind there, uh, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. We are a Bible reading, doing in it church. And uh, we're going there, Colossians chapter 2. Mm, good stuff. Hey, I think it's really important as we enter chapter 2 that we understand and grab a hold of some of the tone of this letter, be reminded of some of the tone of this letter here so that we begin grabbing what we need to out of chapter 2. And kind of in the tone of it, let me just take a moment on that. I mean, here is the Apostle Paul. I think we could all agree that the Apostle Paul was like one serious dude for Christ in redemptive history, right? I mean, this is one of the giants of the faith. And the Apostle Paul is writing what really, he's writing to what would be a smaller city, smaller church. And uh, I think that's cool. Um, Just a smaller church, regular people, uh, regular place. And yet, uh, uh, on top of that, Paul has never met them personally. And I think this is the place where you could get a letter from a guy like the Apostle Paul. And it's kind of like a form letter. And, uh, but that's not what's happening here. In fact, you get this very personal feel of it. It's like, I care about you. I'm so with you. I, I so want to cheer you on in your walk in Christ. And no form letter, no uh, request for support letter, no letter that it's like, hey, I just want you to know it's all about me. Uh, not I'm the Pope letter. None of that kind of stuff is going on. Uh, instead, this, uh, I'll just say, this big dude for Jesus is writing to these little dudes for Jesus. And how cool is that? And he's not writing in an arrogant way, I'm superior way. He's just reminding them that he's about them. How encouraging. Uh, This big dude is about the little dudes, if you will. And that's important because look at chapter 2, verse 1. The first six words say, for I want you to know. I want you to know. And the reason I'm bringing up the tone portion of this is because you've got to understand the picture back in the day. Paul did not send out a group email, okay? Paul did not send out individual letters to individual households. This was a letter that was sent to a people in the city of Colossae to believers in Christ. And what would happen is they would get this letter, the letter was delivered, and they would gather the whole church family together, and then they would read this letter out loud. And just imagine you're sitting there back in that day, and you're hearing this letter from the apostle Paul being read out loud And I have to tell you, if I got the sense out of, there were no chapters in it, but by the end of chapter one, that I got the sense that it's like Paul is sending a form letter or a a support letter or just like, you know, the address has changed and the name signed, but everything in between is the same and sent to 38,000 other people. I got to tell you, by the time he gets to chapter two and he says, for I want you to know something, honestly, I'm probably like, and it depends on the day. I'd probably be like, good for you, but blah, blah, blah. Because you're just doing this for everybody. 
But what's really important here is Paul, has, as we've been seeing, has been so sincere and so on them and so about them and so cheering them on. And then you get to chapter two and you put, hear Paul saying, for I want you to know. If I'm sitting there in that context, I really think I would be the guy who's like, whoa, dude, what do you want me to know? I'm all ears. I'm all ears, man. What do you want me to know? Lord, I pray as we enter this text that that would be our reality. All ears. Right here, right now. In your word. Because we know that this is not just what the Apostle Paul wants us to know. We know and understand that this is what you want us to know. So God, I just pray within us right now would be a yearning to know what you want us to know here in this text. Speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, Colossians 2. Let me give you a little bit of a plan here for actually this Sunday and the next two Sundays. For three Sundays, we're gonna be spending in chapter two. And we're going to be spending three Sundays in chapter two because I really think there are three kind of main um, uh, topics that are being talked about all around one topic. It's kind of like one topic with three units attached to it. And, and here's how I would sum it up. This chapter is basically saying this. Believers in Christ, don't be hoodwinked. Don't be hoodwinked. If you don't know what hoodwinked means, study the picture for a while. And, I, and I'll get you there here in just a minute. But, but the reason for three weeks is I think that there's kind of three ways here that Paul talks about God's people commonly get hoodwinked in three different ways. In fact, just real quickly, look at verse four in chapter two. And, and at the end of chapter two, it has this term, we'll come to in a minute, uh, it has plausible arguments. That's one of them. That's what this Sunday is going to be about, uh, being hoodwinked with plausible arguments. Then look over at verse 8. Uh, in verse 8, it's a see that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. I'm kind of calling that, uh, do not be hoodwinked by philosophical systems. It's a little different than just arguments. And then the third week, uh, three, two weeks from uh, today, verse 23, and in the section there, I'm calling that, don't be hoodwinked by self-made religion. And we'll be talking about that. But I just want to give you the lay of the land so you know where we're going, what's happening, and how these three kind of all fit together. The picture you see on the screen we may become familiar with over these three weeks. But don't be hoodwinked, you guys. That's what Paul is saying to the believers in Colossae. So today, possible arguments. And what we're going to do here is today is laying a foundation for these next couple Sundays. You're going to see, in fact, if you have your sermon notes, you can look and it's like, oh my word, Doug, really? You got all these things? Listen, this Paul piles on ideas, pictures, kind of traits that are really important to prevent us from being hoodwinked, okay? So today is kind of the foundation laying for these next couple Sundays as well. So let's dig in. Verse 1, chapter 2, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. 
What Paul is doing is if you were here last Sunday, uh, Paul is kind of closing out his thought line. He's kind of closing it out, carrying it on as we're talking here. He says, for I want you to know. By the way, uh, that's, Paul is not saying, hey, I heard from some other people. Uh, someone else said you ought to know. Paul is saying, I want you to know. And Paul is also not saying, hey, I have a suggestion for you or I have a thought for you, maybe just a bat around here or there. No, the word there is Paul is saying, I have something that I want you to know, all right? To know, to understand, to grab a hold of and, and to have it have impact on you, not just a kind of an interesting thought. Uh, and he says, I want you to know. And what's, what's he want him to know? How great a struggle I have. Uh, The word struggle in the Greek is actually we get our word agony from it. And and there's a word that is uh, advancing that term. It really is great struggle, great agony that I'm going through for you. Commentators, um, many of them, I just want for you to know, many of them view this as Paul specifically referring to the concept of his struggle in prayer for them. And there's an aspect of that where that really makes sense. We've just in chapter one, chapter one was uh, for the most part, a prayer of Paul's and we're kind of coming out of that. I was talking about pray teaching and we're coming out of that. If you go to Ephesians chapter four or Colossians chapter four, and I think it's verse 12, it says that Epaphras was one who was struggling in prayer for you. So we see that concept over there as well, using the same word. It's interesting to me, though, here it doesn't wrap it with specifically with prayer. But I'll just say this. I think it's probably holistically, but it certainly must be understood that this is the Apostle Paul wrestling in prayer as well for people wrestling for them and struggling for them. And so I think this is physical as well as the whole spiritual reality of it all. I'm just going to say for you, one of the things just the Lord's continuing to lay on my heart is kind of in my role here as one of the pastors is, is one of the things I want to do is over time, I want to be less CEO pastor and more teach and pray pastor. I want to grow in that and be more of that. That is so important. Are you praying? Are you wrestling and struggling for, for people, for one another, for us as a body? Uh, that's certainly in this. Paul's saying, for I want you to know the struggle that I have for you. And notice it's for you. It's for those also in Laodicea. It's for those who are also anybody who is not seen face to face. Paul is not saying, I want you to know this so that you have self-pity for me. Paul is not saying, I'm telling you of my struggles for you so that you understand I'm a gladiator for God. That's not at all. Just say not. Not Not that. Uh, Paul is saying this for them. Why is he saying this for them? Okay, three things here we've got out of the text that tells us what that is. Let's go there. Because verse 2 starts with the word that. That means here's the purpose. Uh, I'm struggling. Uh, I've been struggling and wrestling for you and for those in Laodicea and those of all who have not seen me. That, here's the purpose. Here we go. Number one, that their hearts may be encouraged. How cool is that? It's for you that your hearts may be encouraged. Hearts. Now, we usually have the idea here in our culture that hearts is where the emotions are. I love you with all my heart. That's kind of the emotional center we view it. 
Back in the day, the, the term for heart really wasn't so much that. It certainly included the emotions, but it was really the center of the person. It's really that, that place where you process everything. I would actually say, and I've said before if you've been here, that, that I would say it this way. The heart biblically is here in our culture. It's where you think, it's where you process, it's where you will, it's out of that, of what you do. So when you see biblically the heart, listen, Paul is going for right between your and my ears, as we understand it. And he's trying to, to help us to be encouraged in that. I mean, this is where we do and say things. You know, oftentimes I'll ask people, trying to disciple them along, why did you do that? I don't know. No, yes, you do. Here's the response. Think about it. Go back and walk through the process. You do what you do and you say what you say because you think what you think. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why did I just get angry and say what I just did because of what was going on up here? Know this. Paul is not trying to help them feel warm, lovey, tubby feelings only. Paul is going right at the center of how they process life. And he wants to encourage us right up here. Encourage. It's encouraging your hearts. Again, it's not this, uh, I'm an apostle rock star to the Gentiles. Here's what I've endured. Endure me or, you know, love on me. Uh, That's not it. But Paul is saying, hey, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you of my struggles so that you will be encouraged by it. I'll just say this. Have you experienced someone that has you've seen or been a part with, I mean, in a close context, where you've seen their ministry struggle and it has encouraged you. A few people for me I think of as as Randy and Cindy. Randy and Cindy, you know, years ago were huge mentors and Karen in my life. And I remember when we had little kids and and, uh, we, we went to a conference with them. I think it was in North Carolina and it was like the first time we were ever to, able to do that. And we were like, we're with the main speakers at the conference. You know, and we're like, this is so cool. And I just was like, I just wanted to watch. And to me, Randy was a hero. And I was like, he was a rock star in my life. And, and I'm like, I just want to go and watch. And we go to this conference. We think this is going to be like rock star, you know, all the right colored M&Ms and, you know, everything that's going on with it. And, and then we get there and we're finding, oh, my word. They're like 12, 13, 14 years older than us. And from morning till night for like, it was like two or three days, Karen and I were exhausted. And we were just watching. But we would go to the breakfast meeting, to the lunch meeting, to the dinner meeting behind the curtain and able to see these things. And we're like, this is really cool. But I had no idea how exhausting this was. And all those meetings between speaking were people going, oh, my life is a catastrophe and it's falling apart and what do I do? Uh, But I say that because of this. That so encouraged our hearts, how we thought about the Christian life. I had no idea people worked like that. And that upped the ante for us. I'll just add in it as well, just with Pastor James and with Harvest in Chicago. And I remember it was about five years ago now, being in, in, the, in his backyard with about 20 other senior pastors at the time. And there was a fire going and he's just sharing about his experiences in life. And 
he started talking about the loneliness of ministry. And I'm like, dude, you got a church of 10,000 people. You write books, travel all, you are like a rock star. And I watch how weird Christians are around you. And he's like, man, I'm telling you, this is the loneliest world you would ever know. I'm like, really? And then just watching some of the things he's gone through in the last year, him willing to share that along, things he's endured because of things said. I gotta tell you, I walk away from all this, you guys, encouraged to press on. It's hard. We talked about that last week. But in that knowing that, knowing you're part of something much bigger than yourself, if you're just stuck on yourself, I just want to call you, get off of you and get on others. Because that's what the Apostle Paul was about. He was sharing his struggles not to have you and I feel sorry for him, but for you and I to just go like, man, if that dude's doing that, it causes to pick us up and to get it giddy up, boys and girls. And along with that, how cool it is to know that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. I love being a part of a harvest church, a harvest church that's a part of over another hundred harvest churches in the U.S. and beyond. And I love being a part of something that is part of the universal church of Christ. And what we're doing here is part of something very big and that should encourage us and motivate us and press us on. And and Paul is like, I just want for you to know I'm struggling and I want you to be encouraged. Are you encouraged by that? Be encouraged by that because the apostle Paul's work is encouraging for you. What he put in, we're bearing the results from it. Be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged. Second, Paul says in verse two, that their hearts may be united in love that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. I love that image, knit. You know, you can just kind of see it. This is like really awkward here, but you, you get what I'm doing. You know, all this together. And by the way, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not all a bunch of lemmings talking, looking, acting, all the same walking off a cliff together. Unity is uniqueness unified together. It's united uniquenesses. That's what it's about. You think of a tapestry. We're talking a tapestry with strips of leather and and, and yarn and cotton and various materials and wool all woven together to make this tapestry of totally unique pieces in it, but it's one united whole. That's what Paul wants to have happen. I want to unite you guys together in light of the struggles that I'm going through. And and notice it's united together in love. It's not united together in human similarities. It's not united together in our hobby interests. It's not united together in our life stages. It's not united together because of our career economic statuses. So often the church can get into that. I like you because you like the same kind of things I like. How about this? I like and love you because you love Jesus and I love Jesus. Let's be about Jesus. That's the deal. No matter how rich, how poor, whatever your background is, love Jesus. It's the glue that welds us together, united love. So Paul's story here just personally presses in on me for me not to be about me. 
and for you not to be about you. Because Paul is not about Paul. Paul is about Christ's church. And I and we need to be that. Third, full understanding in Christ. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And here Paul piles on these whole assembly of words here, and we'll work them out in just a second. Let me read them. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's unpack this. I think the center word in this is understanding. It's an understanding, and it's an understanding in Christ. Understanding, and the same word is used in Mark chapter 12, verse 33, where it says, uh, the love your God with all your heart, and then the next statement is, love God with all your understanding. With up here, not just emotionally, but cognitively. God loves thinking people. Uh, understanding, that's where we comprehend, that's where we process. It's, and notice, it's riches of understanding. It's not uh, an understanding that has a little bit to offer. God is not saying, hey, you know what, you want a itsy bitsy, teensy weeny little understanding of me? That's all I'll give you. That's not the case at all. God piles it out. He says, listen, you can have a rich understanding Rich, pile it up, just give it on, stack it up, stack it up, stack it up. And I just, I think that's so encouraging because the Lord is not playing a you cannot understand me game. He's put it all out there for us to know. It's all available. You want to know God? Hey, he's not holding back. That's the reality. And if you don't know God in the way that God wants you to know him, listen, it's not his fault, just straight up. It's your and my fault. Because he's made himself fully known. Riches of understanding. The next word is full assurance of understanding. That's really cool. It's understanding that brings certainty. (laughs) You can know something and not know something. It's, uh, well, yeah. But certainty. Not an arrogance, but a confidence. Uh, understanding with a conviction, a depth of solidity to that. Uh, That's what Paul is pushing for. That's what the Lord wants to have. He doesn't want you to have a partial assurance of him. Well, I think, I think there's a God or, and I understand there's a faith component in this. Or I think I'm in relationship with him. Listen, God's not interested in that. He wants more than that. He wants an assurance of that. And he's made it so that we can have that. Also, understanding with knowledge. Some commentators break these two up. I'm keeping them together. I think the main center word is understanding here. And knowledge is a part of that. And know this. It's not a, a, I understand, mom. But I really don't understand. Have you ever had that happen? I remember my dad sometimes would ask us to do something. And he's like, I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't understand. No, just do it. That's not what the Lord wants to have happen. It's like understanding includes the knowledge with it. It includes, it makes sense. It's literal uh, translation. This would be understanding in knowledge. An understanding that is knowledge, has knowledge founding it. 
God does not want us to be void of knowledge in our understanding. And the knowledge of what? It says an understanding with knowledge of God. Not knowledge of Hollywood. Not a knowledge of thermodynamics. Not a knowledge of society or geography or politics. Not that anything's wrong with those things. But the Lord wants you and I to have an understanding in him. A knowledge of him. What is that? Well, the text tells us. Look at it. God's mystery, which is Christ. Bam. Know this. There is one place. Let me correct that. There is one person where it all comes down to. And it is Jesus Christ. That's what the text is saying. And you may be saying, come on, Doug, are you serious? Like, oh, and Jesus, the guy I've seen in the movies? Yeah, I'm serious. Why are you so serious about that? Well, one, because it says so. But two, look over at chapter one. Let me read verse 15. Because he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He was not created by God. He's above all creation is what that's talking about. He's the image of the invisible God. You want to see God the Father? Look at Christ. That's what the whole text before has been talking about. Uh, He's above all creation, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's why he's the center. That's why that's the center point of what it's all about. And so, so far, Paul has been talking about his ministry struggles, and he puts it in this, I'm doing these ministry struggles for you. To encourage your hearts to the very core of who you are and how you process life. My struggles are going on, Paul says, so that you, a church, would be united together in love. And as well, that you would have a full understanding. Oh, by the way, all of that in Christ. In Christ but he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Let's pile a few more things on. Verse four. I say this in order that. Uh, By the way, watch the flow of this. Beginning of verse one, I want you to know something. Verse two, that, that's the purpose. He made a statement. Now verse four, and I say this in order that. Do you see the cognitive reasoning and the flow of thought and what Paul is trying to pull us along, okay? Just as you study your Bible, as you read your Bible, watch for these things, how things are glued together in the statement and the argument and what Paul is trying to say. Look at verse four. Why all these things? I say this in order that no one may delude you with what? Plausible arguments. Different versions kind of have different words that are used there. But this, let's talk about this. Delude you. Uh, to delude somebody, it means to deceive them, to trick them, to hoax them. It's to the, come little girl, this is grandma. Hoodwinked. Right? It's that happening. Paul's like, listen, follower of Christ, I don't want you to end up being her hoodwinked. Because this is going to happen in your and my life. 
Because the reality is is that there are some very plausible arguments. Let's talk about that term because it's very understanding to say that. Because the word here in the language means persuasive arguments. Hear me on this. We're not talking about aliens and like bizarre things. I'm sorry, maybe you think that's plausible. Uh, Many do. Okay? We're talking about the kind of arguments that come in life where it's like you and I's believers, and we'll be talking about this more in the next couple weeks, how to handle that, how to do that, because sometimes I don't think believers in Christ are willing to interact with plausible arguments. Why not? They're plausible. They're persuasive. They make sense. It's like at times if you sat back and just go, I don't know if I can say that. I've thought that. Hey, it's okay. Because in here, Paul never says, do not enter into plausible arguments. Paul says, I don't want you to get hoodwinked by them. Okay, so here he's talking about this, delude you with plausible arguments. That means they're theoretical at their core, but they're really not conclusive. We call them theories today. Let me give you some. I'm going to call them arguments staying with the text. Creation plausible arguments. Evolution. Seven-day creation. I'll go ahead and add. Alien planted. Here's some more marriage arguments. Why just get married? Just live together. I think that's a great question. Ooh. I mean, it's just two people that love each other. So why not whomever? I understand. What about sex arguments? Premarital sex. Come on, it's no big deal. We're getting married anyway. Eternity arguments. There is no life after death. Everybody goes to heaven. There's no hell. How could a good God have a hell? Annihilationism. We just live and die. Coexist religion arguments. All beliefs lead to God. Truth source arguments. The Bible is the truth source. No, it's not. The Quran is. No, it's not. The Jehovah's Witnesses Bible is. No, it's not. The Mormon Bible is. No, it's not. The Buddha Bible is. The King James Version is the only Bible you should be reading. How can you trust the English translation of the Bible? I think they're all good questions. The goodness of God arguments. If God is good, why does all the hell happen? If God or or God created it good, and then He's just on this massive nap, and someday He'll wake up and kind of see what's going on and catch up and get involved again. Jesus arguments. Jesus was God. Jesus was not God. Jesus did not die on the cross, as the Muslims would say. It was actually someone else. Anthropology arguments, psychology arguments, capital punishment arguments, social justice arguments, is Elvis dead arguments, who shot JFK arguments, does Adam and Eve have a a belly button? Um, They were created by God, did they? That's a great question. (laughs) Go back and look at all the character pictures from when you were a kid. 
just understand, we live in a world of plausible arguments. They're fine sounding. Some of them maybe less so to you or I. But they're, I understand the dilemma arguments. I understand it. I think our world is waiting for people who want to engage in arguments and understand where they're at and lovingly bring truth into the process. But in that whole thing, Paul is essentially saying, listen, encouraged hearted people that are united in love and have a rich assurance from a full understanding of God built out of knowledge in Christ Jesus are hard to hoodwink. Encouraged hearted, united in love, full understanding kinds of people in Christ are hard to hoodwink. They're hard to be hoodwinked in these kinds of plausible arguments. I might shrink that down and say this. Christ-centered people work through plausible arguments with Christ at the center. Christ-centered people work through plausible, understandable arguments with Christ on the center of the table of the discussion. They bring him in, front and center. Why? Because of chapter 1, verses 15 and following. With that, it's just important to know, and I won't go into it today, that God's people in Colossae were absolutely being pummeled. And I haven't talked about this yet so far in this series. They were being pummeled with plausible arguments. And that's why Paul goes to where he's going. He's concerned for them because there were all kinds of plausible arguments and philosophical systems and religious systems that were being, being, being brought to the table. And in it all, it's like the people are asking, but how and but why? But this doesn't make sense. What about that? But they said, but she said, but he said, and it's Jesus plus philosophies were on the table. Not just Jesus alone. Jesus isn't enough. You've got to have Jesus plus works. You've got to have Jesus plus a certain experience. Or you've got to have Jesus and some spiritual funkiness that goes on that, that confirms it. Because just Jesus and his reconciliation to work is not enough. And Paul is pressing us to bring it all back to Christ. And that's my point for today. Bring it all back center. Before we talk about these things, bring it all back center. Well, let's grab a couple more things here that Paul has for us. Verse five. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. How sweet. The big dude loves these normal dudes. That just encourages me, encourages us, doesn't it? Um, Let's go on. I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Just two things I want to quickly add on here. Um, encouraged hearts, united love, full understanding in Christ, and living in good order in Christ. So important. Just a people that are in good order. And also with it, all having a firm faith in Christ. Not a faith in Christ, but a firm faith. Let's go to the first word of, chapter, of verse 6. What is it? What's the first word? <laughs> Sometimes different versions are a curse. Okay, I have an English Standard Version. It means therefore, 
or what was the other one? So then, it's the same idea of that, therefore. And so one of the things I like, I was taught, whenever you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Okay, so here's, when it says therefore, what's happening here? When it's, by the way, we turned the page. Did you? Oh. Sorry, after last week, I just got to have a blast. Okay. Uh, therefore, what's it therefore? Well, therefore means in light of what was just said, I now have something else to say. What was just said? That, okay, that was just said. Therefore, in light of that, I now have something to add on to this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thankfulness, thanksgiving. Hey, th- th- this verse right here, I think, is like a hinge verse for the whole book. It's key. I would love to spend time, but you know what? What I decided is we're going to be spending time over these coming couple months going through the rest of the book talking about exactly that. So I'm, j- I'm just going to briefly put a couple things on the table, I think, that are really important out of this verse. Therefore... Therefore, as you received Christ, a way of saying this would be, therefore, just as you received Christ. I think the New International Version says it that way. Think about that for a minute. In other words, in the way that this happened, this should happen. Do you see that? I got to tell you, I've missed that for years and years and years until just this week. (laughs) Spending the time in it. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, by the way, Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? I'm not saying, do you know about him? I'm not even saying, do you believe in him? I'm saying there comes a time when you received. Hey, hey, when you enter into a covenant, which is what this is talking about, you you, you know when that happens. Now, now, let me do this. Married guys, (laughs) when you got married, you, you, you know when that happened, right? Oh, Doug, please don't ask me for the date. No, but, but all of us, when you're married, you, you, you know when that happened. You are making a covenant commitment in that. And I'm, as, as time's going on, I'm working with more people and sometimes with adults, especially as they come along. It's like this has been a process here of coming to receive Christ. But I will say this. You come to a point to where it's like you just don't know about it. you like, I'm in. As we use the terminology, you drive the stake in the ground. This is it. And have you received Christ Jesus as your Lord? Just coming to that point to where it's like, Lord, I've come to understand that I'm a sinner separated from you, that you've come to save me, and you've provided for me redemption, reconciliation. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And by the way, it's not just a golden ticket to go to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. That's not just the gospel. It's about receiving him for an entire life different. I've been heading this way. I'm driving the stake in the ground, and now I'm heading that way. Just as that happened, this should be happening. Okay? And I say this, emphasize this, because I think a lot of people are stuck right here. Oftentimes, people in Christ look back and, well, I received Christ, and Paul would be like, well, yeah, but what about after that? Uh, what about after that? This, what happened here, needs to be happening again and again and again and again and again and again and again until we see the Lord. 
As we process, I'm not saying receive Christ over again, but process life. Just as you receive Christ as Lord, uh, do this. By the way, let me bring in Acts chapter 9. How did Paul receive the Lord? Well, Jesus showed up in a miraculous way, kind of a unique way to Paul. He's going to hate, he's hating Christ. Christ shows up. We'll just say this. He came to know the true Christ. But he in that, he came in contact with the true Christ. And in that, he could have said no. But he drove the stake, if you will, and we see him entering into what God has, and that changes life. Mark chapter 4 talks about the soils in all of this, and it's this, you're going through life, you come in contact with Christ. That's the four soils, the fourth soil, the good soil, the seed falls in, if you will. The seed, I'm going to point up here, the seed falls in to the inner person. They come to understand, they receive the seed, and then I'm the dirt. That's a four soil thing. Doug, yes, you are. And so, and the dirt is putting every Everything into the seed and out of the seed, all of me, all of my nutrients, all of uh, the water, all of everything I am about is going into the seed, going into the seed, going into the seed, and that seed is growing and growing and growing out of me. That's the intention. That's what's supposed to be happening. And Paul's like this, more of that every day. More of this in, in, into the seed, into the seed, into the seed. More of that every day as we come in contact with things of life. And the rest of this book will be talking about the various kinds of things. But we process and, and then we live that out. Just as you receive Christ Jesus, so continue to what? Con- what? By the way, not run. Isn't that interesting? Because he could have said that. There are words in Greek for that. But the Christian life is a walking reality. We don't do life on a sprint. We do life in a marathon reality. And it's so walk. And it's not walking you. It's walking who? In Christ. Just as you received Christ, walk in him. By the way, this is a present active continuous imperative verb. That means presently and continuously be walking. It's not just yesterday. It's not two weeks ago. It's not a month ago, but presently continues actively. And it's imperative. That means you must be. It has a command feel to it. Paul is saying, listen, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, believers in Colossae, you must be presently continuously walking. That's what the picture of the Christian life is about. And if that's not enough picture, we'll finish with this. He gives four quick pictures of this just to add to this. And here we go. Four walking traits of the person reconciled in Christ. First one, rooted. Rooted. We've kind of given that image. It's it's an agricultural picture. It begins with being planted and rooted in Christ. And the idea is roots never stop growing. If roots stop, stop growing, there's a problem, right? Roots either grow or recede. And it's like, like roots growing. Can you picture that? Roots growing. That's what I want to have happen. The next term, rooted, built up in him. Rooted in Christ, built up in Christ. This is an architectural uh, image that's being used to help people understand and see this. So firmly rooted and now being built up. And not like, nice, you got the first floor done and, and wh- wh- where's floor two? And how about finishing out floor one? It's this idea of being built up, you know, rooted, built up. Aren't you already feeling guys are like, ah, okay? That's kind of the idea, rooted and built up. What's the next one? Established in the faith. The word has this idea of, of growing ever more established. 
It's growing ever more strong. And by the way, in the faith, in the faith that was taught you. So he got this picture, rooted, built up, growing ever more strong. Not for me, not because I'm awesome. By the way, go back to the picture of Christ in Mark chapter 4. Christ is the seed I'm putting into the seed, the seed that Christ is rooting itself all through me. Seeing that? All through the dirt. And as I'm continuing to put myself in Christ, that's my focus, then it's, then it's, it's building up. And as it's building up, it's not just like a wimpy tree. Ding! It's like, whoa, dude, look at that tree. That's a strong tree. That's what we want to see happen. And then, by the way, abounding, overflowing, excelling in what? Thanksgiving. Isn't that cool? Got the picture? Mark chapter 4. The good soil receives the seed. Just as you did that, put yourself into it, and it grows. Roots. Rooted. Built up. Strengthened. And it's like, yeah, thankful. That's growing out of me. Bam. Hey, I'll finish with this. People with these kinds of traits, and these all web and flow. These aren't all independent. They all kind of web and flow. A people with this kind of thing will not be hoodwinked with plausible arguments. More of that. More of that. More of that. In fact, let me finish it this way. Let's take the words off the screen and let's bring up the last slide. That. That's what this is about. The preeminence and supremacy of Jesus Christ. Be about that and you'll be able to handle that. Lord, thank you so much for how you do not just teach us, but you provide pictures for us. (laughs) I'm a picture guy, Lord, you know that. And these are the kinds of things that just help me to understand you and and, and understand what you want to have happen. Lord, I just pray that out of this text that the Apostle Paul is talking about here, that these traits would not just be in us, but would be increasing in us. Because as we talk in these next couple weeks about some more specifics on kind of how the, the hoodwinking happens and, and, and how to practically work out our salvation in the arguments and in the, in the philosophy systems and in the religious ploys. God, it's got to start with, continue with, and end with Jesus Christ at the center. So I pray right now, Lord, this week, 
Would we be watching ourselves and asking ourselves, is Jesus at the center? Or is he just a periodic tag on and I'm actually at the center? I'm not only just talking in relationship with him, Lord. I'm just talking as we walk as followers of Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's been in the, uh, in the struggle for you, for others, and they're discouraged or maybe they're just wondering, I do pray that Paul's struggles for others would be a sustaining encouragement to their soul. It's worth it, you guys. It's so worth it. Lord, we're here and we want you at our center. Help us. Help us to be more of that. In the precious name of Christ, we pray. Amen.